The Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel readings from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose, hand was, whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had withered, the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we think about um, this interaction that Jesus had on the Sabbath with the Pharisees and with this man who was, uh, who was, uh, who was in need of your healing, that you would help us to understand uh, what we are meant to learn and how we might respond to Jesus as uh, the great gatekeeper of our life with you and with one another. So meet us, we pray uh, in his name. Amen. So, uh, so during the Lenten season, right, which just to sort of back up a moment, during the season of Lent, one of the things that the church does across the world is we, we, uh, we sort of take time for reflection, right? Very intentional reflection about our repentance and about these gaps in our lives between 
the, uh, our aspiration for the kingdom of God, right? How we imagine the kingdom of God, how we read about what God's kingdom is about and what God wants, what Jesus uh, inaugurates and desires for us to desire uh, and what he's bringing in the future uh, in great fullness. And, and these gaps of our everyday lived experience, right? It, Lent is a season when we just, you know, we do that hard work of looking at these gaps and we turn uh, afresh to Jesus, uh, um, uh, longing to live more into his vision of what it means to be fully human. How, how might we express our lives as human beings in this world differently in such a way that it reflects the future that God is bringing into existence, right? I mean, why would you want to live in opposition to the future? Why not, uh, why not be on the right side of history? All of those kinds of things sort of come up uh, in this season of Lent. And to do that, to help us do that, we are looking at these texts, these episodes really, in the life of Jesus as Luke describes them in his gospel. So last week, we looked at Luke chapter 4, where, where Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to, to sort of articulate that he understood himself, his life, to be all about uh, what theologians would call the great eschatological moment of Jubilee, right? Now, what does that mean? Right? It means this, that when Jesus thought about what he was doing in the life of the earth and what he was doing among us, he imagined that the future kingdom of God was coming and was, in fact, here, the year of the Lord's favor, uh, and, and what does that mean? It means just very simply that Jesus is inaugurating a very new way of living with God and, and a, a sort of a way of living with God and living with neighbor that leads us in paths of justice and righteousness so that we become a world that is just filled with the care and the compassion uh, of the needy and the vulnerable uh, of our society. And we just looked at that last week. Go back and look at that text if you'd like um, for further reflection. But now this morning... We're coming in, we're sort of pressing into the, the story that Luke is telling about Jesus, and we're, we're looking at these two stories about Sabbath. Um, Sabbath is such a strange thing, I think, uh, for us in our day and age, because we, um, my guess is you're a little bit like me, that you associate, as a Christian, right, you associate Sabbath with the things we do on Sunday, uh, namely worship, right? Obviously, we gather uh, for worship, but, you know, most of us are generally sort of shoehorning worship into a lot of other things, right? There are other things that you want to do today that you have on your, your bucket list for Sunday. You know, maybe it's a nap. Uh, maybe you're planning a, a nice little lunch somewhere. Uh, maybe it includes a conversation with a friend that you haven't talked to in a while. But the reality is that the way we live in our culture is we're not very sort of hyper-conscious anymore about Sabbath-keeping. We, we just aren't. Uh, and so you come into the gospel stories, and one of the things you very quickly discover about Jesus is that most of his conflicts occur on the Sabbath, right? I mean, and so it's like, why? What's going on here, you know, in this particular moment with Jesus that all of these conflicts are occurring between Jesus and the Pharisees, right? The religious professionals of his day. Why are they all happening on, on the Sabbath? Let me just say something about the Sabbath for a moment. Sabbath as it was articulated uh, very early on in the life of Israel post their, their sort of released from Egypt and the slavery of Egypt uh, in the law of Moses is this pivotal commandment in the list of 10 that actually, I think, weaves together our life with God and our life with neighbor. 
the way we live with God and the way we live in God's world. And uh, it, it was a, a gift of the Lord that enlarges our imagination for the way we live as human beings, as persons of faith who take very seriously that God is a God of compassion who loves and cares for us. And so we're able to pause from work. And we sort of hold on to the fact that human beings are meant to live in real, sustained dependency upon God himself. And that is meant to change the way I relate to you throughout the week, the way I relate to my work, that I'm never putting a load on you that is not yours rightly to bear, and I'm never putting a load on people in a vocational space that is not its, right, its space to bear, but I'm constantly living this connectedness to God that liberates the way I live with neighbor, the way I live out in the world. Sabbath was a remarkable gift of God to his community that was really for a traumatized people who had been lived in the space of generational slavery that had, had absolutely shaped the way they thought about everything, about their identity, about the way they live in the world. And so it's this space in which God says here, I want you to do these things and I want you to think about very intentionally your life with me and your life with neighbor, but I want you to do it very differently than the way you would ordinarily think about it based on your traumatic past or based on what you see other people in your culture doing. And so here into this context, right, of how do we keep Sabbath and what is Sabbath all about, Jesus essentially begins to challenge the right of the Pharisees to interpret Sabbath, right? And that's why this conflict is all about. That's what, why it's surfacing over and over again, because the, the Pharisees inside of that cultural moment, you know, we think of the Pharisees, we think, you know, bad guys, right? I mean, in, if you've been in the church any length of time, you, you read about the Pharisees and you think, you know, these were just legalistic bad guys, right? They were harming people. They were, they were out of touch with God. Well, maybe they were out of touch with God, but there's something that's very important about their role that we actually respect a great deal. These were people who studied what God's word said and who studied all the theological traditions around God's word because guess what? From the beginning of anyone having a life with God, they have talked about it and written about it and thought about it very deeply. And the Pharisees were the community of persons inside of Israel that knew that tradition really, really well. And so if you had a question about something, you know, you would go to them. One of the complaints I sometimes have about my job as a pastor is that, that when people come to me, they often want to understand something. They want me to explain something for them. And one of the things I've, I've been learning about myself is that I talk too much. And that what I might need to do in a space of someone coming to me is just sit very quietly and try to discern what they're really trying to say and what's really going on in their lives. Pastors, clergies, Pharisees, right? Scribes, religious leaders, they're people that so study what God's word said and the traditions that have surfaced around those words that they're constantly inserting ideas for the community of God's people. And there's something good about that and there's something really dangerous about that and we need to understand that. And so these battle lines get drawn between Jesus and the Pharisees because essentially what Jesus comes and he says, hey, I'm the gatekeeper. If you want to understand Jewish identity, if you want to understand human identity, if you want to understand your vocation as a human being or what it means to be a true Israelite, what it means to be very Jewish, what, if you want to understand any of these things, 
You really need to pass through me. You really have to sort of grapple with what I'm doing and what I'm saying as I redirect the things you're saying. And Sabbath is a place where all of that just comes into magnification inside of Israel because of this. Because during the day of Jesus, Sabbath had sort of become the premier way that you identified faithful Jewish persons. This was how you understood Jewish identity. So it was a law that was a part of all that God had been doing, but it had taken on this sort of magnified presence in the life of Israel, and Jesus begins to speak about it and do things on a Sabbath that absolutely contradict and redirect how the Pharisees were understanding the nature of Jewish identity. So the battle lines are drawn really on the Sabbath. So think about these two stories, right? So the first is just a very simple story of the disciples walking through a field you know, which most of us don't do, by the way, right, um, in, in the city. But they're walking through a field and they sort of, they're, they're, you know, you can imagine walking through a field and you're running your fingers along the grains and you just pluck a grain. Maybe you would think, I don't ever want to eat raw grain. That just sounds ridiculous. But, you know, hey, they're, they're, they're running their fingers through the grain. They pluck a grain, a part of the grain, and they just pop it in their mouths. It's like a very meager snack, right? I mean, it's, there's not much of a meal in that. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's not much work associated with that. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, you know, God said on the Sabbath, you also need to, regardless of whether or not it's the harvest season or not, you need to keep Sabbath. Now, well, you know, there's no sickle here. Nobody's harvesting grain, right? But by Jesus' day, what had happened is people had become so anxious about understanding their identity as Jewish persons. They had become so anxious about making sure that we haven't sort of crossed a line with God by violating, you know, the law of Sabbath and not harvesting on a Sabbath that you had just sort of, sort of become more and more picky about it. Like, it's just like, well, okay. Um, you know, actually, if you pluck one grain, right, if you pluck some grain, that's Sabbath breaking, right? That's harvest. You just harvested. Shame on you. And that's what happens in this particular moment, right? The religious leaders who are observing all that Jesus is doing as he comes into this popular space of the teacher, right? The one who's speaking authoritatively about what God is doing um, and claims these grandiose things for himself. You know, they're watching him and all of a sudden his disciples, the people around him, are working on a Sabbath by their definition. And they confront Jesus with it. And Jesus takes them to this story of King David. And that's kind of interesting in and of itself, right? Because as you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus is associated with King David, right? He's the greater King David. He's the future heir of the throne of David, right? That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus picks this story about David in which David and his disciples, his followers, his men, violate the command of God, particularly as it relates to the temple and the bread inside of the temple that was absolutely reserved for the priests. So think about this. They're worried about general Sabbath keeping. And Jesus takes them to David, someone that they absolutely would respect. It's interesting that he says, haven't you heard? Haven't you read? Now, that's a silly question, right? Because who are these people? They're the religious professionals. What do they do? They read the Bible. Haven't you heard about David? Don't you know this story? And he takes a story 
that's far more particular. It's about the temple, right? And the temple is that space where heaven and earth meet. And so the laws that are all sort of encapsulating the temple, that are describing the work of the temple, those have a real, they sort of have a logical priority of sorts, if you want to say that, I think. And, and so Jesus takes that story of violation and he basically says, you have missed the point of the law. You don't get it, do you? You've read all these stories, but you don't get it. What don't they get? Just very simply this, that the love of God for the hungry was greater than the restrictions of the law. God's desire, God's compassion, God's love trumps the law that he gave. Jesus points that out. The point is not compliance, but love of God and neighbor. And if you live with the law in a way that doesn't lead you further into love of God and further into love of neighbor, guess what? You've missed it too. And so as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, the question I have for myself, and I don't really have an answer here right now, but the the question I have for myself and the question I'll put to you to sort of stew on is just this. Are there ways that we read the Bible and that we practice our faith that actually distract us from loving God and neighbor? Are there ways that we get in the way by our own sort of attention, even to God, that distract us from loving God and loving neighbor, from actually missing the point. So scene two, the Pharisees are now sort of in this place of stalking Jesus, right? It's, it's really, these are disturbing stories, I think, right? You know, the Pharisees as stalkers, right? And that's really how they come off, like, because they're constantly watching. Remember, they're gatekeepers, And they're stalking Jesus. They're spying on him. They're trying to catch him in some violation. It's a form of entrapment. Now you begin to recognize, like, these guys are obsessed. Something's wrong with their obsession. It feels unnatural. It feels over the top, right, if you're reading this. At least that's how I read it. Um, so, So Joel Green, in his commentary, he observes this. He basically says that the Pharisees begin to live with the law as a barrier or as a wall, particularly between them and the religious, right, between the religious faithful and the needy, right? And this man, for example, who's in this congregation that they're well aware of, the man with the withered hand, right? The mysterious man with the withered hand, and they know he's there, and Jesus is there, and their immediate question is, will he do it? Will he dare to heal this man on the Sabbath? Will he take up this opportunity to love, right? That's really, and then you begin to sort of parse this out and you're thinking like, well, who would ever want to be in that community? I mean, if that's how religious folks relate, if that's how people that talk about God, if that's how people that know scripture, if that's how they relate to their fellow man or to someone like Jesus, if that's how they relate, who would want to be a part of a community like that? They're building these walls, right, through their practice, their religious practice, that actually sort of pushes people away, pushes people out, and doesn't make room for their experience of God or their life with neighbor. Remember the Sabbath law? It's all about our connectedness to God that changes the way we're connected to one another and to our work. So the Pharisees begin to live with the law in a way that gets in the way of love of God and of neighbor. 
Now, but they don't see it that way. They view themselves as the protectors of Jewish identity. And the way they're going to protect Jewish identity, the way they're going to shore that up at a period of sort of Roman occupation, right? A, a very difficult place to hold on to identity in the midst of occupation and all of the seductions of Roman court culture and all of the abuses of Roman culture toward them. The way you do that is you just sort of zero in on these laws and particularly the Sabbath law. So what does Jesus do? Well, we're told, Luke tells us, that Jesus knew what they were thinking, right? That they wanted to entrap him, right? He's aware of their inner thoughts, right? Remember uh, Simeon's prayer, right? As Jesus was baptized, we talked about that a, few, a number of weeks ago. But uh, the, in his prayer, uh, Simeon says, you're going to discern the thoughts, the inner thoughts of, of humanity, of all of Israel, right? And here's a moment, a very practical moment, in which Jesus, we're told, understands what's going on inside of the Pharisees. He discerns their inward life, right? And one of the things Jesus does here is he moves to shine a light on it. He begins to sort of expose their inner life, right, by bringing this man that they know is in the periphery of their congregation to the very center of everyone's attention. So he calls this man, right, to the center. And he asks this very simple question of the Pharisees themselves, right? Is it good you know, is it right to do good or harm on the Sabbath, right? Is it right to save or is it right to destroy, right? Now, you, you frame the, the situation like that. That's how Jesus is framing the Sabbath, right? Uh, is, it, is, it a, is this a day in which you should do good or you should do harm? In which you should save or which you should destroy? What is it? And it's a rhetorical question because everybody that would be listening to this question would think, well, well to do good, to save, right? That's God's intention. That's God's purpose. And, and yet... That's not their purposes. So Jesus refocuses the scene by pulling this man to the very center of everyone's attention. He shines a spotlight on this man and his withered hand. So you're that guy. And Jesus calls you from the periphery, wherever you are, and your ailment, whatever it is, he's called you to the very center of attention, and he begins to shine the light on you. And he just simply says, hey, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Just what, what are you learning about God in that midst, in that moment, right? What do you see about a God who looks at your secrets or the things that you want to hide or the things that bring you shame about your life or the places of sickness or the places of struggle, the parts of your story that are just so painful that you yourself would rather just hide it? And Jesus says here... Hey, stretch out your hand. He is so willing to gaze upon the reality of your broken life and in no way avert his gaze and in no way imply that he is shaming you in that activity. But everything he's doing in that moment is about your renewal, about your becoming a person that flourishes in the life of this world. And so the, you know, Jesus simply says, stretch out your hand and the man is made well. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Why do that on the Sabbath? Because this, you know, you know the concept elective surgery? <laughs> what is elective surgery? Elective surgery is something that's you know, sort of serious that you might want to take care of, but, you know, you got some time. 
And you could do that today, you know, maybe if there's a space in the, in the OR, you know, down at HUP. Or you could sort of say, well, hey, when are you free and when am I free? Let's do it on my spring break or let's do it over this vacation or when it's not going to get in the way of my work. Or, you know, elective surgery is when you just schedule it free will, right? It's, you do that. You have the liberty to do that. Well, there's no absolutely, there's no indication that this is an emergency. Why stir the pot? Right? Why not say, hey, you know, you have that dude with a withered hand, tomorrow, let's meet at the gate and we'll take care of that. Why, why not do that? Why not schedule it then then? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus schedules it right now. He schedules it on the Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath is a gift for the sake of human flourishing. It's a space in which our life with God transforms our life with one another such that we begin to create and live into a just and righteous society, right? We care for the least of these. We care for the vulnerable. We, we connect their lives to God, we, you know, just so on and so forth. And so Jesus here is absolutely confronting the pharisaical understanding of what it means to be a Jewish person. What does it mean to be a faithful person of God, someone who belongs to God? It means that you are connected to God in such a way that your life connects to other lives very differently as a person of love and a person of care. Jesus does this on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a portal in which we live by faith in God who loves and cares for us and that changes the way we live with one another, reflecting his love and care for them. See, is there any other way to answer Jesus' very simple rhetorical question? What's the Sabbath for? Is it a day to do good or harm? Who is the gatekeeper of human identity and flourishing? It's Jesus. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he reminds us, right, that human beings are not slaves to the Sabbath laws or any of the laws, but rather Sabbath is a gift for human beings that we might live with God and neighbor very differently. And here's the thing about this particular text that becomes so very disturbing as you read it, is that the rival gatekeepers, the religious leaders, people like me, right, and you if you read and study your Bible to any degree, right, the people like us, they begin to plot how they could destroy Jesus. The irony of this moment is it right to save or destroy? And their intention is destruction because they're filled with rage. The Pharisees are at their wits end because Jesus just continually confounds their own imagination about who God is and what God wants and what God is doing and how God wants to live with us with his law and how God wants us to live uh, sort of in mission in the world uh, inside of this identity of a life with him, right? The, Jesus just continually is disruptive of the way human beings are trying to understand what it means to take God seriously. And he's continually, right, pushing on that misunderstanding and if you were in Luke's early congregation or you're an early reader of the gospel or we're a reader right now, what do we feel confounded by? Right? That the Pharisees don't get it. That they're clueless. But the question I have for myself and the question I have for you this morning is, can you recognize yourself in the story? Do you see how you live with the story even of Jesus, right? You're, in a further, you're much further down the line than the Jewish community was then. 
Because we know more about the story of Jesus. We've read more about the story of Jesus. We know about his death, his life, his resurrection. We know about that, you know, we've got the letters of the Apostle Paul. And we've got all of the New Testament canon that sort of takes us into sort of thinking out. What does it mean to take the story of Jesus seriously? But here's the problem. The church gets in the way of the story of Jesus so often. As essential and a part of the story as we are. We can so easily begin to live with Jesus in a way that we're building walls between us and our neighbors. We're not actually engaged in God's mission. We're not actually sort of approaching our life of faith as a portal for other people to experience a life of faith and experience who God is and find transformation in their life with God, right? But instead, we close the doors and we treat the church like this. It's, it's a walled-in space. It's a, it's a bubble that we inhabit. And perhaps no more, you know, I don't want to say that, but you know, I was going to say, you know, we live in a moment when it feels like the church is really, really in danger of doing this more than ever. And you see it politically as people question evangelicals over and over again because of the ways that we're entangled sort of in in political situations. There's like this giant sort of moment in which we're having to come to terms with the way we actually hold a life of faith with God that may be getting in the way of how we love neighbor and how we express his love into the world. And this is the beauty of this Lenten moment. It is a context when we should very, very intentionally sort of hit pause and say, God, what is the gap that you want us to see in the way we live with you that might inhibit someone from having any imagination that they could also live with you? How are we living on the wrong side of history? And how do we, through our own acts of repentance, Get on with the agenda of God and his love for the world. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would meet us in these, um, these words of scripture and that we would, would hear um, the challenge of Jesus who is so willing to stir the pot then and who is so willing to stir it now. So would you, Holy Spirit, move among us that we would see those gaps in our lives and our experience with you and our experience with neighbor and our experience in our city and in our world, that we would just be dumbfounded by the beauty of your love for us so that we would love the way Jesus is loved. Meet us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. The offering is a time we reflect on God's grace, his goodness, his interaction with us. Let's do that now and offer our hearts, our lives, our gifts to him.